Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. My name is Aaron Battle. My name is Kurt Robinson. In this episode, we're going to go through the evolution of Kurt going from why do we have government? Yep. What government actually does and maybe we don't actually need them. Yeah, kick them out the door. So this is a personal story of mine of how I evolved philosophically from questioning whether government should be involved in directing people's personal liberties, control over their own bodies, to eventually over many years coming to the realization that maybe we don't need government at all. So press like, press subscribe, check us out on iTunes, podcasts, and Facebook. And remember to toss us a few bones at donate.theparadiseparadox.com. Today I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, how I became a libertarian and an anarchist. It would be interesting for me because I'm still early on that on that path. Yeah, um, a lot of these concepts are still fairly fresh to me. So although I, I resonate with them, it's uh, it'd be cool to hear you know where you're coming from hmm. and what what events actually started making you interested. Yeah, yeah. going down this road. Cool. Okay. Well, I'll start with. I remember when I was 16 or 15 or 16, uh, a lot of my friends liked to smoke weed and that, that was fine. Uh, but the thing was, uh, well, sm smoking weed was illegal and people would, uh, people would hate us because of that. Some of, some of my friends would hate my other friends. It's like some weird faction between people who like drinking and people who like smoking up. And, uh, there's the thing was I said, well, hang on. I mean, you um, you know, like drinking is is legal, not 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 for us because we're underage. But drink drinking is legal. Why isn't smoking weed legal? And I remember my friend Nick would be like, well, it, look, it's just illegal. That's the way it is. You know, you just need to accept that. That's that's the the society we live in, and I said, well, hold on, you know, I mean, you know, at some point in history, drinking alcohol was actually illegal, and he said, yeah, and that was fucked, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, well, you're applying this double standard. Somehow, you think that's a perfectly reasonable thought that that you can do what you want. It's legal for you to do what you want and you don't have to face any criminal t penalties for that. But if I want to do what I want, then I do. So where where is the logic to that? And of course, there's no real logical answer to that. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense why alcohol should be legal while marijuana isn't. Uh, I mean, to some extent, I think there's, uh, if, if you want to talk about harm reduction if you if you believe that prohibition actually worked then you would have much more of a case for banning alcohol than you would for marijuana but the other thing is why shouldn't people be able to do what they want with their own bodies i mean it is their body so that's that seemed perfectly logical to me yeah the the concept of like community health yeah. It's like you would, it would be the other way around. Yeah, yeah. If if prohibition actually worked, which it doesn't, uh, and there's a whole bunch of reasons why it doesn't work, basically by, by um, threatening people, you don't actually restrict the demand for a product or at least not, not enough to make people any healthier. And it leads to a whole bunch of problems with uh, low quality, and I would see things like uh, an ad talking about how dangerous ecstasy is. And it's got like a picture of a bath and a toilet and, and it's really dirty. And it says, ecstasy, do you know what you're taking? And I was like, <laughs> come on. I mean, whose fault is that? It's not, it's not our fault that, that, <laughs> that we don't know what we're taking. It's actually your fault. It's, it's the people who banned it. That's the problem. 
because when something is banned, it means it can't be regulated as easily as, as in a free market because people want to know what they're consuming. And that's a lot more difficult when you have when it when it's banned when there's criminal characters running around trying to trying to make a quick deal, rather than having it all out in the open, and letting people uh, distinguish and letting people freely advertise what they're actually selling. Not to mention the effects on price. Yeah, it's just complete exploitation of anyone that wants to to use those products or substances. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And you you have to look at things like, okay, if I buy, let's let's go do a comparison here. Uh, say if I buy a beer in Australia, uh, well, let's say if I buy it from a supermarket, it costs like three bucks. If I buy it in a supermarket in Colombia, it'll cost like one buck. Um, and and that's a that's a difference made by taxes in Australia mainly, but it's uh, the the thing is if we look at the difference between cocaine in Colombia, it's uh, about five dollars a gram. You could probably find somebody to sell you a gram for two dollars if if you're savvy. Uh, in Australia, we're talking about three hundred dollars for a gram, and I, I don't know who's paying that much because it's a. <laughs> it's uh, not, I, know, I know a few. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a, such a boring thing to spend your money on, but <laughs> but um, you know it's a, that's their right. Each to their own. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, so so not all of these ideas were going through my head when I was sixteen, but that was the the key one. Like we we like to do what we want, and why should we be? banned from that why should we have threats against us and the, and i did start calling myself a libertarian then because uh, I, I i didn't think it through completely i still had some ideas like leftist ideas i, I thought that the government had a role in making people happy which m made sense to me at the time and now i see it's a bit Utopian. I, I I had this vision of like where pe if people wanted something in their life, if people wanted to find a partner, like the government should provide a dating service. But now, if I, if I, if I think about that, like a government running a, a dating service, I could picture some weird uh, Orwellian or, or Kafkaesque world where uh, the government is um, lining people up and forcing them to get married. That's, <laughs> Man, that's, that's what it brings to mind now. Interesting, yeah. because you, you just said that the government has the role to, to make the community happy or increase. That, that was my thought then when I was 15, yeah. Yeah, I, I've, yeah, well, I think maybe there's still a lot of people that might believe that yeah. to some extent, because if it was yeah. the latter and government's role was not to care about people, mm. then people probably wouldn't care much for government. Mm. But they probably haven't realized that the government are either side of the fence and mm. most of them don't care about the people. They, and, yeah. you know, and, the, and the ones that do care about the people, they, they, they're looking after you know, niche, yeah. niche um, I guess, yeah, movements niche markets, or niche, niche, um, needs of yeah. the community. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I actually, I'm a bit divided on this because I know some politicians are nasty and, and they lie. I mean, I, I think a lot of them do, but I also think sometimes that uh, they're confined by the system. Maybe they actually have a lot of good intentions, but they're restricted. Uh, like for example, recently, um, Senator David Lionhelm, the um, liberal Democrat senator in Australia got elected and he, he made his maiden speech and he said he was talking about classical liberal principles like libertarian principles uh, like the, the right to your own body and, and the right to self-defense and, um, and freedom. Like that's a word you don't hear in Australian Parliament <laughs> too often, uh, at, at least not in the way he was using it. How did it go down? Uh, well, in a lot of ways, it went down great. He said a lot of senators came up to him afterward and they said, wow, I wish I could make a speech like that, talking about real shit, like talking about principles, but my party won't let me. Uh, so uh, people get tied down. People have to toe the party line. And uh, that's, that's a whole 
problem with politics. It's a, it's a system that uh, divides people and you, you have to stick with who you stick with. Otherwise, they're not going to have your back and you get all kinds of backstabbing. All, all manners, all flavors, all kinds, anything could be u- used as a weapon to stab in your back. <laughs> yeah. So I've heard some people, I've heard one ex-politician describe it as in, in Australian politics and, and probably in politics in general, uh, the people would stab you in the back then use those daggers as rungs <laughs> to, to uh, work their way up. So, <laughs> yeah. So I had this idea that... Uh, government had uh, some kind of role in making people happy which now i I think i was misguided because i don't think uh, i don't think the government can make people happy and i don't think they have a role because i i think that's up to an individual's responsibility you have your own life and and you have the right to pursuit of happiness and you're the only one who can do it if the government starts getting involved there um, they're only going to get in the way. The thing that I didn't realize is how a government is funded, which is by taxes. And that's actually a form of theft in the, in one, at least by one definition, like if, uh, the definition of theft that I normally use is controlling the property of another with the intent to deprive him of it. Some people will try to argue with me and say that uh, this is, well, it's not theft because it's, um, it's something that you pay in exchange for services. And I say, well, in what other uh, context would I have to pay for something even if I don't use it, like if, if McDonald's came knocking on my door and said, hey, uh, you have to give us a uh, hundred bucks for, for your monthly subscription. And I say, but hold on, I don't eat at McDonald's. So why do I, why do I have to pay? And they say, well, you, you still have to pay because this is an exchange for services. No, that's not an exchange for services. That's a shakedown. That's extortion, <laughs> especially, you know, when they have in, in this uh, hypothetical <laughs> extreme situation. The only other example I can yep. think of might be insurance. Mm. But what are you trying to insure and what are you expecting in return? Well, who forces you to pay insurance? Like it's, it's your responsibility to take care of your own house, your own health and your, your own property. So who forces mm. you to insure it? I see the difference. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Well, using Australia as an example. Yeah. The only insurance that you're forced to is like, you know, your green slip, which is like your third party. Yeah, compulsory third party. It's personal injury. So if, if somebody gets injured because of something that you did in your vehicle, that will cover them for the damages. But who forces you to do it? That's, to- that's the key. The, the Roads and Traffic Authority forces you. A government department forces you to do it. And so that's, that's what government does. Government is force. Government is um, a monopoly on force in a certain geographical region. That's what government is. And yeah, but I didn't realize that at the time and I hadn't thought through my ideas fully, but I did identify as a libertarian for many, many years. Like when you were asking these questions, how old were you? Uh, so when I was asking about the right to one's own body, like the right to, to consume the drugs that you want to, I was about 15 or 16, but I never thought about the, the question of taxes until about 13 years later. Yeah, I just kind of accepted. Well, to to some extent, I accepted the taxes, uh, but then I I remember I listened, I, I started reading Robert Kiyosaki, and he's talking about how he structured his company so he really doesn't have to pay tax, and and I thought that sounds pretty good. But <laughs> you're allowed so, to do that. I, I know when I when I first came across that topic, it was you're allowed to mitigate your tax yeah yeah like that, that that's that's a business function yeah absolutely yeah and and that's that's part of the reason why taxes are fundamentally unjust something like the income tax 
it's inherently regressive, which taxes aren't supposed to be because uh, the, the thing is you can write off your expenses if you're, if you're a business or a corporation, you write off your expenses, but you can never write off your time. And the people at the bottom of the, la of the ladder are the ones who are trading time for money, whereas the people at the top of the ladder are trading money to get more money. Uh, so that's the, that's the thing about it. It's just so, so regressive and uh, especially that's, yeah, that's about the income tax. And so the income tax almost always targets middle and lower class people, whereas uh, upper class people, people with political sway tend to receive subsidies. So basically the, the people who game the system manage to, well, they either pay very little tax or they manage to actually receive money instead of paying tax. <laughs> Sneaky. Yeah. So that's, I mean, it, it's kind of funny because a, a lot of leftists, socialists will talk about how the, the role of taxation is so important or they say stuff like tax the rich. Well, that's, that's actually how the income tax got started in the United States. That is, that, that was the public relations scheme to sell the income tax to the people. They said, ah, oh, well, you know, if, if we just put a small tax on, the, on all these millionaires in the United States, and millionaires was like, it was very uncommon to be a millionaire um, because at that time, money still had, uh, money wasn't fiat currency. It hadn't, the currency supply hadn't been so diluted. Uh, so a millionaire, to, be, to have a million dollars was a lot of money. You're uh, a king. Yep. <laughs> so like the equivalent of being a billionaire today um, or like being a, like having a hundred, five hundred million dollars, something like that. So, uh, so the thing was, they said, oh, well, let's just put this small tax, like a 1% tax on all the rich people as an income tax. And then we won't have to worry about tariffs or stamp duty, all of these other taxes we can just get rid of. Of course, when they brought it in, they didn't get rid of all those other taxes. They just kept them, kept them going. And of course, eventually the, the income tax kind of filtered down and filtered down until they were saying, oh, well, if you earn uh, above $2,000 a year, then you have to pay income tax until the point that everybody's paying income tax. And instead of being 1%, it's like 30 or 50% in some states of the United States. So you can't just tax the rich, not in a political system. It, does, it doesn't work like that because <laughs> the people who control the system are the rich and they're going to manipulate the system so it's not them who are paying tax. And that, that was probably, I get the impression, and there's no way I can prove this, but I get the impression that that was probably the plan all along, just introduce it as a, as a tax on the rich and then have it filtered down. those years from the age I was 15 till around the time I was 27 or 28 it, it never I never really explored libertarianism that much except for something on kind of unrelated uh, path of thinking uh, was uh, I started reading Ayn Rand uh, and my favorite Ayn Rand book is The, the Fountainhead and which describes this ambitious young architect who never compromises. He has his own ideals of, of what's good and, and what's right in architecture. And he won't sacrifice his ideas for anything. He, he says that a work should have integrity. So uh, those, those were very inspiring ideas because it's like it's this idea about entrepreneurialism uh, that you can create something and and uh, in the book Ayn Rand makes the case that one man or one one human being can change the entire world he can give the entire world a gift by creating 
And that is a, an idea which ties into libertarianism a lot. It's also about not being controlled. And the, the idea that government doesn't really come up too much in that book, but that's addressed in, in another of her books, Atlas Shrugged, where um, all of the people who are productive in the world end up es escaping to, uh, to another location where they can work in, in peace and not be bothered by, uh, by the government, by the, the government that's trying to squeeze as much out of them as it can. Uh, so so th those ideas started uh, like bubbling around in my brain. And yeah, Ayn Rand is a very, Ayn Rand is still a very controversial figure, which I guess it goes to show, I mean, it, maybe maybe you like her work, maybe you don't, but uh, it, it goes to show that her, her work still stands a test of time in some respects. Because if, if, I, I always think if something is, is very div divisive like that. Some people say it's very good. Some people say it's very bad. I say, okay, whatever it is, I know it's interesting. <laughs> so people are still debate. People are still throwing all kinds of straw men at, at, at uh, Ayn Rand and personal attacks, saying she accepted uh, welfare payments and uh, Medicare or wh whatever it was, which uh, I, I haven't actually seen any evidence of that i understand that there isn't actually evidence that that she accepted welfare payments that's irrelevant yeah it's a it's irrelevant to a point and and people use that and say ha we got you on that one thing that makes your entire body of work irrelevant well no not really i mean the life doesn't work like that the the ideas are ideas ideas are independent of people uh, it doesn't matter if, if somebody stupid says something smart. It's If it's smart, it's smart. <laughs> I guess it was just a few years ago in 2012, somebody posted a video of Ron Paul on Facebook and saying, this guy seems like a like he might actually be onto something. He doesn't seem like a, a regular politician. And I was kind of bitter or cynical because I thought, you know, a few years before uh, Obama had came out and I thought, oh, this is something different, something new, some some different kind of politician. Uh, he's talking about changing things. He seems to be a good guy, like talking about ending war. But then when he actually became president, well, he didn't end wars. And yeah, he received the Nobel Peace Prize, but then went on to be the, the same kind of dude. So I was like, okay, uh, I'm not, I'm not holding any great hope for um, American politics of change coming from, from this presidency. But then, uh, I watched the video and I said, oh, hold on. This guy is actually talking about actual concepts. He's, he's talking about how he's talking about economics. He's actually educating people. He's using the political platform as a way to educate people, which politicians never do. Politicians, normally it's in their interest to keep people stupid or try to avoid the truth or try to obscure the truth. But this guy was trying to show people a path to the truth. So I started listening to a lot of his speeches and he talks a lot about Austrian economics. So I, I started to understand like, so the, from the time I was 15, I had that idea about personal freedom, but then uh, watching Ron Paul, I started to click in this idea of economic freedom, which I now I see they're actually both the same thing because any way in which you ex restrict economic freedom, you're actually restricting personal freedom. And it works more or less the other way around as well. Coming across Ron Paul, yeah. um, because I, I was never really interested in, in politics. Mm. Like it just, it was all the same game to yep. me. Every politician was the, the same, the same skeleton in a different shell or wrapped in a different color. Mm. Um, but Ron Paul got my attention through some friends that I met in Norway, yeah, and uh, one of these guys, he was studying uh, American history, and he sent me the, a video of one of his speeches and said, "Check this guy out; he's different." Mm. And at the time, it was like, you know, it's, it's not it's not my thing, mm. but it was interesting hearing from the point just to say someone coming out blank 
with we're going down the wrong path. Yeah. It was like irrespective of whether I make it in or not, we're going down the wrong path. Yeah. It was like, it was more heartfelt, like this is not the America that I helped build sort of message. Mm. And, uh, you know, that, that did impact a lot of people and he had, he had a lot of success. Mm. But um, when you say he was educating people, I never thought about economics as being a, uh, as being a way of, of trapping people. Tra- trapping them. Yeah. <laughs> I, okay. I, I, never, I never imagined, okay, that was never a concept in my mind. Like no. I, wasn't, I wasn't able to, before Ron Paul, I wasn't able to conceptualize that. Mm. Like I just thought, okay, there's a lot of lazy people that don't work. Mm. Like I was still trapped in that mindset where, you know, someone's homeless. Well, then they, they messed up their life, didn't they? They probably should have, they should have went to school. They should have studied. They should have did a, a course or an apprenticeship or something. They should have done something. Like couldn't they have seen this happening, like coming before it happened? Yeah. And, yeah. and then I realized that a lot of these people are trapped in the system mm. because mm. What, when you get to a position through unexpected happenings, what do you, what do you do? Yeah. And when you don't have the education to bring yourself out of it, that's, that's a problem. Unfortunately, I, I feel like these are the majority of people that are being led down these different garden paths. Yeah. And it's what, it's what government does. Yep. That's, that's where you want them to be. And yep. previous to that, religion took that role. Um, mm, now mm. it's gone through another phase of, of civilization evolution. Mm. Yeah, well, this is a thing which I bring up sometimes because people say, oh, look at this, it's terrible, you, all these minimum wage workers, which, by the way, generally people don't stay on the minimum wage for long, but they, they say, look, this is terrible, these people can't negotiate higher wages, uh, they, they need help, um, this, this, is, you know, this is an abomination, this, this shows how terrible capitalism is. And I say, well, well hold on, hold on, that's a big leap. That's actually not the case. That's not the fault of capitalism. That's actually the fault of socialism in a lot of countries. Because in Australia, in, the, in Mexico, in the United States, in, in Great Britain, who controls the education system? That's right. It's the government. And, and even, even if you go to a private school, it's still mostly like 50% funded by the government. And so the, the means of production is owned by the state, and that's socialism. Uh, so the, uh, when these people come out and they have no job skills and they don't have a way to, uh, they don't have the skills to negotiate a higher wage or look for a better job or start their own business, that is definitely the fault of socialism. Uh, it's not really anything to do with capitalism. An yep. interesting study that... I, I can't quote right now, but what they noticed mm. was with people that were at the, the bottom of like um, social economic levels, mm. where most people uh, would think that whether if they're receiving money, mm. they would go and invest that in in drugs or alcohol or you know other vices they they might have. Okay. Um, there was a study done recently that actually showed that these that the majority of people were only resorting to to alcohol, for example. Mm. as a way of their out for their situation. Mm. But when they had the, the economic freedom to then do something, yeah. most of them actually started businesses. Oh, really? Like it's, it was a thing. Like most people actually just, they, they reinvested in, in doing something to get their wheel moving mm. uh, economically. So I think the, the majority of people that think that you know, giving money to someone on, the, on, giving money to a bum on the street well, you know, or you're not giving them enough money for them to do anything but what they're already doing. Hmm. But you're giving somebody enough money, they know how not to end up back there. Like, okay. Like, okay. like I think most people accept that the public are just uneducated, you know, like a, a dumbed down, like people that are in trouble are a dumbed down version of society. But hmm. that, that's not the case at all. Hmm. Most of it's due to, you know, unforeseen circumstances or just mishappenings. Well, I wonder about that because I see people here, here in Mexico begging for, for money and uh, homeless people and I think, well, hang on. I mean, you live in Mexico. This is the, 
This is a land of opportunity because you, if if you uh, if you live here in Mexico, say you could beg for a day or, or you know maybe you go hungry for for a day or two, uh, but you save up enough money to buy a pack of cigarettes. Then you go and stop people at intersections and and start selling them loose cigarettes. And and then you know the next day you buy two packets of cigarettes and before you know it you're you're running a corner store. Uh, that's that's how I envision uh, what what I would do in that situation. But um, to me, it seems like if these people aren't bringing themselves out of it to to some extent, they want to be there or not. Um, that's not exactly the right word. But then they're not willing to push past those those tiny hurdles mm. uh i think the the same people we're talking about have, have already given up mm. like they they might have tried something that didn't work or they they just feel like what's the point mm. that, that's kind of the difference i mean we're, we're coming from a mindset where we'd be willing to try something like that because mm. we know we've got we've got a long life ahead of us there's no way we're going to commit to um, to being a bum, like, that's just not part. That's not the <laughs> option. So you know, we we'll do whatever we can to get out. But yeah. I feel like in this case, these people you can see it in their face. These people have given up. Mm. You know, they that they, they couldn't care less anymore. Yeah, like they've figured out how to how to get by in poverty, and that's that's just a thing. I just don't understand what they're waiting for. What do you mean? You think that? What, well, that, well, that sounds kind of nasty. Like what you no, almost like you're saying they should uh, um, do away with themselves or something. Well, not not quite that that no. harsh, but I feel like you know there's there's only a handful of different types of people. Yeah, and and most people are waiting for the return of Messiah, um, mm. for a for like the second coming of Christ. The rest of us are just waiting to die. Like, okay, that's that's pretty bleak, but yeah, I think you've got a point there. It's like you, know, you need to really think. <laughs> like you know, pe- people get stuck in a nine to five job and they're like running running that uh, rat wheel and and they just keep going and going. And, and if they so, go to church on the weekend and they do their prayers, then then great. Yeah. But if not, well, then you know what's your what's your thing? Mm. Like, what are you living for? Yeah. And yeah. If, and if you're living just for the cheap thrills day to day then, you know, you should, probably should consider how free you're living because there's bigger thrills out there than, than just, you know, your, your life. In one uh, speech by Tyler Durden or Owen, Owen Cook, the uh, guy who runs uh, Real Social Dynamics, is like, you know, if we're, we're here, we're, we're doing what we do. I mean, if, if, unless we're going to off ourselves tomorrow, we better make the most of it. Like, <laughs> come on, this is real life. Let's have a good time. Yeah. Let's let's you know, let's treat it like something real. Let's grab grab hold of it and and uh, yeah, suck the pap out of life. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> nobody wants to die yet. What are you doing today? Yeah. It's like, yeah. is that really worth it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you know, I'm guilty in that too. Uh, we, uh, we all are, but it's uh, once you become, I guess, aware of that. Mm. Then, uh, then all of a sudden, you your life gets bigger because you're mm. interested in in possibly doing something that might help more people, mm. or you know what that politician in your town is saying might might be of some interest. Because I'm looking mm. at the old Aaron that didn't didn't really care much about politics. Yeah. Now, compared to where I'm at now, it's completely different because I realise that's going to affect everyone around me. Yeah. And, and my own well-being and economic freedoms yeah well i remember i had one customer and and uh, i started chatting to him about politics and, and he was like you know it's good to hear a young fellow interested in politics uh he said i, I talked to a lot of people and and about politics and they say ah oh, i'm not really that interested and he's he says well if a Guy came up behind you and was sticking his fingers into your hip pocket. Would you be interested? Because <laughs> that's what they're doing. <laughs> well. Press like on YouTube. Press like on Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, and Pocket Casts. Follow us on Twitter at BattleAZ at Trouble Bubble. And show your support at donate.theparadiseparadox.com. 
around that time that I was starting to listen to Ron Paul and and uh, listen to his economic arguments about how the state was destructive and manipulated the market, stop people doing what they really wanted to do and and resulted in violence. Uh, I was also, my, my friend Bob Lunn um, started talking to me about some interesting concepts, uh, which is called the, the free man movement or the free man on the land movement, or some some people call it being sovereign or sovereign citizen, which is a kind of absurd term, but but this is this is kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool. <laughs> uh, well, people say, well, you can, well, how can you be both sovereign and a citizen? Because citizen means you're controlled by someone else, but sovereign means you're controlled by yourself, uh, like independent. My friend Bob started talking to me about these ideas about the law, and uh, there's there's a lot of people around the world, especially in Canada, but also in the United States and in Australia, who started educating themselves about the law, investigating and saying, well, things like a, a, a victimless crime, like possession of marijuana, how is it actually a crime? It's under common law, it's not a crime. And we're supposed to be living, well, not here in Mexico, Mexicans a civil law um, system, but in, in Australia, in the United States, in Canada, in, in the UK, and um, among other countries, it's a common law system, and which which means it's based on precedent. The common law system actually originated independently of the government. And the thing is, in common law, of course, if you assault somebody, that's unlawful, and you don't need to write it down in a book to say, like this this person hit me, um, you know, and or. You don't need to write down a declaration from a politician saying if you hit somebody else, then uh, you'll get in trouble for that. That is not how common law works because it's more, it starts from uh, more like common sense. Because obviously, if you hit somebody, you cause them damage, or if you're intimidating somebody, uh, that's, uh, that's called assault, uh, like m- making them making a reasonable person think that they're likely to, to get injured, that's assault. Uh, and that, that doesn't require a declaration. Whereas most people think about the law in terms of legislation and declarations, uh, bills passed by parliaments, which is actually so far removed from how law in the, in the UK in, uh, actually started. It's actually this more decentralized system of law. So the thing was, if you look at it from a kind of critical perspective, you have things in common law, these maxims like uh, everyone is equal before the eyes of the law, which makes sense. And, and it's even something, you know, it sounds like you've something you've probably heard many times. But then if you think about it and try to apply it methodically, you start to find things like, well, how come you know, like a, ju- a judge can judge a case or how, how come uh, a police officer can do something which I can't and somehow that's that's legal, but, you know, when I do it, it's illegal. Uh, how come if, if I uh, start going up to somebody and, and saying, if you've got something in your pocket, like a, some kind of prohibited substance and, and I uh, put them in handcuffs and lock them in my basement, well, that's, uh, that's illegal or unlawful, but if a police officer does it, it's legal. Well, that's that's a double standard, and that's obviously defying this maxim of common law that we're all equal under the eyes or before the eyes of the law. I, I started thinking about that, and I said, well, this also applies to taxes. Like, if I go knock on all my neighbors' doors or send them letters saying, hey, uh, you owe me $1,000 because that's 10% of your income, uh, then that would be extortion. And that that is extortion. Uh, or, you know, fraud, or, or it's, it could be many things depending on exactly the application. But that's exactly what government does. They send people threatening letters and, and try to intimidate them. In the, this free man movement, I mean, there's a lot of garbage and nonsense and conspiracy theories and probably disinformation from governments which gets thrown around, uh, like 
you can tell sometimes uh, the the governments try to launch propaganda campaigns against this type of movement because they're worried like what happens if people actually understand the law and you can watch it there's a documentary or you could call it a documentary I'm, I'm not sure if that title really applies to this nonsense but a doc a, a piece by the um canadian broadcasting corporation where they they interview some free men and make them out to be crazy people and, and terrorists and, and that sort of stuff there's a lot of garbage in did, there there's you, a lot of the yep. the documentary what did it mainly it, it just it is covered guys to make them out looking like they're, they're crazy hippies or something or so it Particularly, uh, they interviewed one fellow who claimed he'd been taken advantage of by the, the free man movement because all of these people had told him that he could get away with not paying off his mortgage or something like that. And, and he got into a whole heap of trouble. But um, Perfect. Yeah. Isn't yeah, it? Yeah, per perfect example to, to throw dirt on them. And then they, they interviewed Robert Menard, who's a figure in the free man movement, and made him appear like a bit of a wacko, which he is. Uh, he's, he's a bit wacky, but, the, you know, he's, he's also, a, I, I believe he's a, a good guy, and I believe he's trying to find truth. The thing about it is uh, they, they will tell you to do things like uh, send documents that have been uh, notarized to uh, to the government and tell them hey look I have all these rights and I'm just giving you notice I have the right to to go in public and, and smoke weed or uh, and some people would do things like write out a whole list of like a thousand rights that they believe they had and, and send it to the attorney general or whatever uh, and I, th I thought well, that's a that seems a bit uh, excessive um, and then I, I listened to a fellow named Dean Clifford is from Manitoba in, in uh, Canada and he's, his ideas seem to be a lot more clear and he said well why don't you just send them a letter saying is there anything you claim I cannot do and so I thought hey that's that seems to make a bit of sense so I sent a couple of letters I, I sent a letter to uh, the Attorney General in Australia and said, well, look, is, uh, do, uh, is there anything you're claiming I cannot do? And they sent me a letter back saying, look, I don't, I don't know what you're asking. Uh, if you've got a problem with your employer, then you can contact them. <laughs> uh, so they'd taken some words out of context and, and replied in not answering my question. And I said, okay, well, maybe that's that's not his position. I sent a letter to the commissioner of the, the uh, Australian Taxation Office. Three or six months later, I got a reply from the deputy commissioner of the Australian Taxation Office. I, I'd asked this question saying, like, what authority do you have to, to take money from people? Where does this legal authority derive? Where does it originate? And they, I, I asked them, these laws or these these pieces of legislation that you're claiming apply to me do you actually have any evidence that they do apply to me and they wrote back saying well they, for one thing they never actually answered my question they never told me any piece of evidence which directly indicated that these pieces of legislation apply to me other than saying well the the courts have found that the these uh piece of the legislation stand up and, and uh, many people are being punished by this legislation in courts of law, uh, which is what you call an appeal to the stick uh, or an appeal to force. Like, yeah, you better do what we're saying, otherwise we'll throw you in jail, which is not really an argument. I mean, I guess it's some kind of evidence of what they're going to do basically it's a threat <laughs> but it, it's not evidence that these from the the authority that these legislation actually has and so i read through the letter about three times and i started to realize actually there's nothing in here which addresses my questions and uh, <laughs> so you, you you got a letter back saying yeah. basically fall back in line pay your taxes or this is what happened to these guys that didn't pay their tax. More or less, yeah. yeah. And, and the weird thing was, uh, they actually said to me, 
you better pay, or not in these words, but they said, you better pay what's owed or we may initiate legal action. The thing was, I didn't owe them any money. I literally, not, not by my measure, not by my own wacky free man ideas, uh, I mean, for, by that measure, I didn't owe them any money, but also by their measure, <laughs> I also didn't owe them any money. I'd already paid the taxes, you know, it was pay-as-you-go tax that got extracted from my paycheck along the way. I didn't owe them anything. I kind of expected that they would actually research what, what I was talking about, but no, they hadn't looked up my name or my tax number or anything. They just assumed that I was trying to get out of tax. And, and they, so they sent me a bunch of... Th bunch of threats in this letter so i was like okay this is pretty revealing <laughs> yeah well <laughs> i'm starting to not, see that's not his job like the the office is just so big everyone just falls in line with their their role yeah yeah and uh and then you, you take that bigger and you realize well police have their role yep and they have their boss mm. you know they have to they should abide by law as well but it's <laughs> it's separate yeah, government's separate yeah. to law Banking systems are separate to them both, and it's and it's very common that most people think that all these systems are all they're all tied together as in governments looking after us. <laughs> Better follow yeah, the rules. That's true. Yeah. I, I know yeah. because I, I believe that for mm. a very long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean the they're more or less together. I mean, there's supposed to be, you know, a separation of the executive, judicial, and um, there's supposed to be some kind of separation, but then they, they end up colluding and there's a whole bunch of stuff. Like you, you had a problem once when a police officer uh, took you for doing burnouts or something and, and the, the, the second police officer lied and said he saw you and all this nonsense. Yeah, what, what appeared to have happened um, just because I was picked out, I was picked out as a, as an example. Yeah. Firstly, I was, I was, I was pulled over as, you know, normal, normal night out, random breath test. I thought, mm. um, then I was told that I was speeding, which, which was fine, but where and by how much there was no, there was no data evidence at all. <laughs> um, then, uh, I waited he said, well, you know, it's, it's your lucky day or something, smart ass, you know, you expect a cop to say. And then, uh, and he's like, yeah, just expect to find in the mail. And, I, and, you know, I was at the time, well, I was probably about early 20s. So, you know, didn't really think to, to question him about how much was I speeding by or yeah. whether there's a radar involved or, or yeah. what. Um, but about six weeks later, I got a fine for what, what's... Well, I mean, informally a burnout or a, a section five, five A or five C mm. offence, which is uh, losing, maintaining. No, I think it's just loss, loss of traction. It's like it's, okay. that, that's just a loss of traction. Um, so you know that that's about eight hundred bucks worth. Then I mean, mm. this, I'm talking maybe ten years ago. No, mm. maybe eight years ago. So. It's like, but the thing was, there was what appeared, what I thought might have been a cop on his way home after a, a night out as detective or something. Like it was mm. an un, unmarked vehicle at all. It was kind of like a Cadbury's wagon, purple okay. station wagon. Okay. Yeah, completely took me off guard. Had no idea what was going on. Uh, and then he turned up with like a Cuda Lions jacket. So he was out of uniform and everything. I didn't even saw a badge. But so he looked like a speed dealer. He, exactly. <laughs> Hoodie, hoodie and all. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I had no, I, I didn't, it caught me by surprise. I had no idea what was going on. And then he's like, I thought, is someone playing a joke with me? Like, <laughs> no fine turned up until six weeks later and it was something completely different. And then I said, well, of course I'm taking this to court. Yeah. And, and then when I got to court, there was a whole, a whole team. Mm. You know, like the, uh, the police prosecutor was on their side. Yeah. He, you know, he was all like, you know, put on his show. The, um, the detective's partner, which mm. I never saw at any point, she was never there, mm. had her story. But I mean, there were so many issues with the story. You know, they said that I went left, I went right, my car was blue, green, they didn't know. <laughs> she wasn't there. And the judge is like, well, it's really your word against 40 something plus years of police work. So, um, yeah, but there were two of them. One of them had the, the manufactured story and 
Yeah. One of them I actually saw. Yeah, I mean, but that... But that, that well, they both had manufactured stories, but one of them was actually there. Yeah, the thing, thing was it didn't matter. Yeah. Like, you know, I was able to bring attention to the fact that there was nothing there, but how am I supposed to ask the police? Like, how could I prove? At the time, I was under... I mean, I represented myself because I didn't think it was going to be such a big deal. Yeah. I really had, didn't, I didn't understand the, the process. Yeah. But um, looking back now, of course, I would have, I would have requested reports time yeah. timesheets logs for the books all that sort of stuff that i guess a lawyer would have done straight away mm. and just seeing that that presence of uh, a professional might have had the whole case thrown out before it even started but mm. of course you know a young a young guy who's going to have who's going to be able to pull that kind of money to have like a to put a case together maybe yeah. i should have maybe i should have done it but e- yeah. either way it didn't it didn't change anything mm. yeah yeah like it was, it was thrown out but it wasn't i I really don't know what happened to that. I didn't pay any fines or anything. I just left it. Oh, really? I, okay. said, I said, you know what? I'm going to Mexico next week. This is like the first trip back. This is the first trip over here. <laughs> okay. So now you're, you're like, you've got a permanent flight marker. This, um, this was like seven years ago, eight years yeah, ago. Yeah, like eight years okay. ago. Something interesting. Happened. Okay. Just last year, I went to get my license renewed. And it's, yep. it's interesting because, yeah, I, I thought, you know, I've, I don't even know how many points I've got. I really mm. don't care. I've got my license. I'm going to keep doing what I want anyway. Mm. Um, I went to the RTA to get my license renewed and they, they gave me a half price discount. Mm. And they said, because I've had no infringements in the last five years. Mm. So they gave me a discount. So I don't know, maybe the RTA and the police don't even, their systems don't even connect. Mm. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Just complete IT incompetence. Okay. <laughs> Could be. Yeah, fair enough. Sometimes magistrates will give prosecutors a free pass. They'll just uh, overlook things. And, and I'll, I'll get into my story, my, my experience with the court system in the following episode. But um, yeah, so the thing was, I, I sent this letter. I got this letter back from the ATO, not answering any of my questions. And my, my initial expectation was, well, I, I guess I had a few contrary expectations. Like I was like, okay, well, you know, if they just sent me a letter and they explained everything clearly, uh, this is how the, the authority is derived. I'll be like, oh, okay. So I, get, I guess that's fine. And I guess it's legit. And I guess that makes sense that on one level I was expecting that. And, and when I first received the letter, and read it through the first time, I thought, oh, okay, I guess that does kind of make sense. But upon the second and third reading, I was like, no, actually, that, that doesn't make sense. They haven't answered any of my questions. All they've done is threatened me like two or three times and told me that they'll never reply to me again. Uh, <laughs> and, it's, and it's written this, this language like it's saying, uh, we've, came to a, we've come to a point where we think that it's not necessary or productive or fruitful to continue with this conversation and we won't be replying any further this this is our department's resources and and looking at it later i was like well hang on your department's resources yeah your department's resources are there to actually answer my questions that's what your job is supposed to be so uh, upon further analysis I, i started to think well hang on this is these people are actually thugs and they're trying to use this highfalutin language to disguise the fact that what they're doing, but they can't answer my questions. They can't tell me why I have to pay them money, but they're just very sure that I should. And they're very sure that they'll do something nasty to me if I don't. So <laughs> things started to, to click into my mind. They really don't know. Yeah, they, re- they really don't know. And it's, very, it's this very compliance based mentality they're like cogs in a machine they will do what they're told they never stopped once to to question why they're actually there and that is definitely a weird thing about it because i can't imagine exactly what goes on in these people's heads I, I like to play a game sometimes when if i have to call up a bureaucrat and and i'm going to ask them a few of these questions i'm like okay how long is it going to be i'll start the time ago how long is it going to be before this guy tells me something like, look, that's just the way it is. Look, you just have to pay. Look, this conversation is over. I'm not here to argue with you. That's one they love. They love to say that. I'm not here to argue with you. And I'm like, well, hang on. I'm not actually presenting an argument. An argument is a, a bunch of premises that leads to a conclusion. I'm asking you a question. 
What authority do you have? <laughs> and they say, I'm not here to argue with you. That's a, they say that so often. It's disgusting. I'm not here to argue with you. I'm just here to threaten you and intimidate you. That, that poor the, little bugger. <laughs> he, he's just trying to work. He's got his kids at home. He, yeah, he, he, yeah. He gets paid his, his level. <laughs> I don't know, the government pay. Yeah, nice, cushy government job. Live, you know, work from the government for your entire life and you don't have to think. Here in Mexico, I'm more sympathetic because I know people have to... People have to work and get by, like your your uncles, bureaucrats, and <laughs> and they sometimes they do some stuff which, if they really had a better position, they they wouldn't be doing. Well, uh, nearly nearly all my family and now uh, newer family are mm. all in government government jobs. Mm. I, I look at it like a um, like a work for the dole kind of system. Yeah, yeah. It's like what what else is there? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully they can do some good, but yeah. And I mean, I much prefer to deal with a Mexican bureaucrat because you can negotiate with them. <laughs> Australian bureaucrats. No, they're very straight down the line. Like the, these are the rules. If you don't like it. And that, that's the other thing. Cause, uh, I started, I brought these topics of conversation up over the dinner table with my family a couple of years ago. And you might imagine it didn't go over so well. I started telling them, well, what the, what the government is actually doing is contrary to common law. I, I don't think they actually have the authority to impose these taxes. Like if, if they have the authority, where does it come from? And, and you know, I, I can't see any rational basis for this. And uh, my sister-in-law and my, my brother uh, started getting very angry at me, uh, started getting very agitated. And I was like, this is kind of, kind of weird. Uh, and, and it was also, it was strange too, because I'd mentioned, hey, um, well, I sent the ATO these documents and I got this response. They didn't actually answer any of my questions. It's weird, right? Uh, if, if I were in, if I were in my brother or my sister-in-law's position, I would be like, "Really? Oh, show me the documents. I want, I want to see. Let's investigate. Let's see what's really up." Yeah. But no, they know. They know. Nobody at the dinner table asked me for it. Uh, what do you think that is? Like, is that a, a compliance, or is that just a? I'm living my own life, and it's got nothing to do with me. It's well, it does have something to do with. Well, that, that, uh, that's my sister-in-law is a is a bureaucrat. She works for the government, teaching uh, kids. So she's like, from from what uh, this is like a bit of pop psychology here, but this this is like people identify with the government uh, in some way. People identify with the government as they say, "This is my parent. This is my father figure or my mother figure." government's there to take care of me uh and and uh, i've heard this expression it's very difficult to get someone to see something when their livelihood depends on them not seeing it so it's it's difficult for my sister-in-law to, to start saying oh actually i work for a criminal organization i mean for me actually that would be i, I that even if I were in that position, I would still say, okay, well, I, I, I can accept that. Um, but then, you know, I, I might have to look at changing my life or, or something like that. But for her and for a lot of people, in, especially in Australia and in the, in the United States, they're locked in this, this frame. And if, if something enters and they don't like it, they just they shut it out. And I, I don't know, maybe she, I, I never brought it up again because uh, she ended up telling me something like, well, look, this is, uh, this is how it works in this country. And if you don't like it, you can just get out of the country. Uh, like now or tomorrow? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, wait, wait, hold on. When did you become the dictator of Australia, right? <laughs> I thought this was supposed to be a free country. Suddenly, free speech isn't, isn't allowed and uh, I have to leave the country if I say something contrary to your opinion. Um, but that's, that's 
the kind of mentality that people have in Australia, like, you know, get into line or get out. And I don't know, really know where it originates, but I'm sure it has something to do with being schooled by the government, being educated by the government. But I also wonder why doesn't that affect me to that extent? Why don't, why don't I have that, that mentality? And I guess it's from some, from some intense and weird experiences that I've had that have actually deprogrammed me. That's something to do with it. Yeah, I think maybe the, the track record of experiences mm. don't allow people like us to fall into, into those roles. Mm. Because if I, if I was to fall into one of those roles and I was comfortable, the question is, would we continue to think the way we think now? Or would that ability dissolve? Mm-hmm. Personally, I really enjoy talking about this because mm-hmm. um, I, I can see, it lets me reflect my own experience for one. Mm-hmm. Hearing the way you came through your experiences into this understanding, mm-hmm. uh, it, it allows me to realize like, what were the critical points for me personally as well. Hmm. And it is when you realize the separation of these departments, of these organizations and the purposes they have, the combination of the separation of, yeah. the, of the departments yeah. and their, their purposes and yeah. how they're not, all working for the, they're not all working for you. They're not all working for the one goal. They, they all have <laughs> their own, their own you know, little objective. Yes. And, yes. and sometimes it's, uh, it, it's, it's scary to think that these are, these are out of control bodies mm. of people mm. that are sleeping inside these big shells we call we call government or we call you know system of authority the police yep. or the banking system yeah like, yep. these are all controlling units mm. that that are exploiting the people mm. Mm. well i remember thomas soul uh, the economist thomas soul tell, tells a story where the this was like a light bulb moment for him. He was working in a government department. He was like fresh out of university. And uh, the, the government department had something to do with the minimum wage. And he said, well, I'm going to start doing some research. I'm going to look into this and see if the minimum wage actually uh, improves conditions for people. And, uh, and everybody in the department was like, what? You're going to do what? <laughs> like if, the, if the you- devil. Yeah, yeah. The worst. Well, the Satan, the questioner. Uh, the, <laughs> exactly. The devil, yeah, the devil's advocate. Because uh, if, uh, if he starts asking these questions uh, and he gets the uh, unpalatable answers, then that means the, in the, he's going to prove that their department is unnecessary and, and actually contrary to their, their stated goal. You see, the scary part is the people that are inside that are aware. Mm. Like, mm-hmm. I, I find is they're, they're just creepy, slimy people. Ah, oh, okay. You mean people, people that are aware that it's terrible and oh. they're like, oh, I'm going to run with this. I'm going to take advantage. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I'm shutting shut down my own personal, like I don't have a personal view. Mm. Feelings, I, I don't give a shit. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run this system the best way I can to go up through the ranks and get nice and comfortable. Yeah, yeah. Like that's kind of the majority of presidents, isn't it? Like that's kind of... <laughs> Probably. No, well, no, the, vice, to, the vice president. to say, yeah. Was he going to do less and get paid <laughs> nearly equally as well? <laughs> True. All right. Well, we're, we're going to have to, we'll break this up into, a, into another section. So we'll continue next time. Uh, so my name's Kurt Robinson. My name's Aaron Battle. This is a Paradise Paradox. So have a look at theparadiseparadox.com. Press like on YouTube. Uh, press like on Facebook. Press subscribe on YouTube. And uh, follow us on Twitter at Trouble Bubble. Just get amongst it. And uh, <laughs> I, yeah, add that lazy. But I'm at, thinking, yep. you know, um, I, I don't really care which way you get contact with us. I mean, if you're on the website, that's, that's yeah. perfect. Yeah, get in touch, leave a comment on the website. And uh, you can subscribe to us on iTunes and also on Pocket Casts. And also show your support. We, we um, 
suggest a donation of one US dollar per episode that you listen to and like. So go to donate.theparadiseparadox.com and you can donate by a Bitcoin or by uh, some altcoins as well. And have a good one. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. Peace. I was thinking...